we're seeing a tremendous interest in private credit and certainly in commercial real estate credit. When we're facing the markets like we're facing today, notwithstanding the denominator effect that's impacting a lot of investors, there still is a need for yield, uh, there's a need for safety, and there's a need to deploy capital. That's Warren DeHaan, Managing Partner and Co-Chief Executive Officer at Acor Capital, one of the largest commercial real estate debt managers globally. Warren's firm originates property credit at multiple levels, including senior, mezzanine, and preferred equity. More than 100 staff at Acor currently manage more than $21 billion of investments on behalf of institutional investors around the world. If you're looking for an informed view on the viability of commercial real estate credit as a strategy in today's marketplace, perspectives from this firm should carry more than a little weight. To that end, Acor Capital has sponsored this episode produced by PERE to explore the strategy and the context that matters for anyone considering it. I'm Jonathan Brass, Editor-in-Chief at PEI Group, and this is a PERE Spotlight. To start, Warren is going to characterize for us today's market dynamic in order to demonstrate a need to pursue a real estate credit strategy. In markets like this, when we're facing tremendous economic uncertainty, broader economic uncertainty, sort of large-scale illiquidity in the banking system, in the credit markets, in the bond market, as well as some pending credit-related issues, investors within the class of commercial real estate are going to look for safety. And the credit markets provide, sort of call it the loan market, provides a safe place to be. There is a lot of yield that can be made in today's market. The returns that can get generated in the private credit markets today in commercial real estate are attractive. In many cases, double-digit returns on senior secured loans with a lot of equity subordinated to those loans providing a great cushion of safety. The other factor that's interesting for investors clearly is the cash on cash returns that can get produced in the credit markets as opposed to relying on the upside associated with the sale or realizing profits in the future sales of real estate. Warren is joined by his co-managing partner and CEO, Chris Tukarski. The two of them, along with managing partners Boyd Fellows and Stu Ward, founded Acor Capital in 2015, midway through the last institutional real estate cycle. Like Warren, Chris underlines the contemporary relevance of cash-on-cash returns from investments amid current market uncertainty. And like Warren, Chris is confident that commercial real estate lending is a good option to achieve that. So with the recent volatility in the equity markets, many investors are looking for a safe haven and real assets and real estate in particular provide that safe haven. Real estate lending is secured with a mortgage on a hard asset. So when you have volatility in the equity markets, it's an asset class that people can turn to, feel comfortable that there is a secured position with a first mortgage lien. And the beauty of the product is that it produces current cash flow with a monthly mortgage payment that gets passed through to the investors. So it's a very high cash on cash investment. Okay, so real estate credit is more than a viable play right now for institutional investment organizations. But with so many institutions out there, is the opportunity big enough to satisfy demand? Warren thinks so. It's an extremely large market of commercial real estate. And There is a big opportunity set day in, day out, whether you're in a good market or a tough market, 
to make loans. In today's marketplace, there is a tremendous opportunity to step in and create very safe loans, safer loans than in a bull market, as an example, where we can make loans at lower leverage and higher coupons. So there is a tremendous amount of opportunity out there that exists, whether you're in a good market or bad market, to produce these kind of loans. Chris believes today's commercial real estate loan market has an additional dimension. And so there's two types of loan sellers. There's sellers that are selling a loan because it's in distress. And then you have loan sellers that are selling because they're in distress and need liquidity where the loans are actually performing quite well. And so that's a secondary opportunity that exists today that doesn't really present itself in a standard market. So you, you always have rolling maturities in the commercial real estate space. Unlike housing, where you can get a loan for 30 years, most commercial loans have maturity dates that are somewhere between three and 10 years. So there's constant rollover in the market that's presenting you with new loans. When you add the opportunities of distressed sellers into that, the market just grows for the opportunity to invest. So the deal flow is there. But what about the returns? Acor and other debt-focused managers have historically sought higher performance than a traditional lender might expect. Is this still the case? By Warren's reckoning, different return requirements from the various points of the credit stack remain an important part of what he describes as a lending ecosystem. Well, you know, the debt funds were born out of increased regulation about 10 years ago. The market has grown tremendously since then. The banks continue to face this overlay of increased regulation. The banks are absolutely key partners to any debt fund. And so the ecosystem sort of needs to work together. Having said that, the market share of debt funds will continue to grow and they will continue to be a very key component of the ecosystem. Having said that, not all debt funds are made equal. There are those debt funds that are reliant upon the CLO market as an example to create leverage to provide the returns to their investors. And as we know today, it's a very difficult environment to issue CLOs today at yield rates that are accretive to make the returns for the investors. So I would say in the short term here, we'll see those lenders on the sideline figuring out their own liquidity related issues. On the other hand, there are debt funds that are internally financed or are financed in a different way where they have term financing in place or they have embedded internal financing that will have an advantage in this market and I think we will continue to see those debt funds be particularly active. Now we're getting into the granularities of real estate credit investing. Some debt funds also rely on CLO, or collateralized loan obligation financing, allowing them to issue their own debt. Others do not. Investors keen on a real estate debt strategy would do well to figure out which manager sits in which camp. CLOs or structured vehicles to borrow money is one way to leverage your assets. The other two ways are to co-originate a loan where you buy a loan or buy a subordinate piece and at the same time that a senior loan is being originated, or you sell a senior loan after you've originated the loan. And the larger the operation, the more sophisticated and diversified that lending base becomes. But as you get into the mortgage REITs, they'll also issue corporate level debt and other ways to leverage their balance sheet. So it really depends on the size of the operation. And generally speaking, the smaller debt funds are more reliant upon the CLO. Right. So size matters. 
I, I think it comes back to scale. I mean, that point is it's not really a dollar amount. It's really scale of the enterprise. The larger you are, the better access you have to leverage the better access you have to the bank markets, the better access you have to the public markets. And so there have been a number of new entrants that have entered the market. And the easy trade was go and make a loan at 5% and borrow at 25 or 3% and create a levered return for your investor. And the most practical way or the easiest path to get there was to aggregate collateral on a line and then exit through a CLO. And the business thesis was pretty sound. Until you come to an environment like we are today, we fundamentally, we've seen a doubling in the base index. We've seen a doubling in spreads. And to the extent that you had aggregated loans at yesterday's coupon, you would have to borrow at today's borrowing cost. Those loans will effectively not produce great returns for the investors. It's also important to note that financing real estate largely takes two forms. Original lending, i.e. issuing a loan to a new transaction, and refinancing cutting new debt for a borrower on an existing investment. In a world of surging interest rates and conceivably difficult refinancing conditions, what aspects of this type of lending should most be under the microscope? Chris has more words of caution. A hallmark of our business to date has been that we focus primarily on new originations, which gives you the fresh cash from a new sponsor. So you effectively have an excited sponsor who's writing a fresh check and is beginning an execution of a business plan that's not stale. And as you look into the refinance market, I think it's a sector where new lenders tend to get caught. Sometimes there's not fresh cash. Oftentimes you're returning cash to a borrower. And generally speaking, newer entrant lenders, you see make loans that we wouldn't make because they're desperate to get capital out. And so they tend to chase refinances. The refinance also sees a switch in negotiating dynamics. They feel like they need to deploy capital and they push on terms. They give more dollars. They cave on structure. And it's really a function of that lender's ability to originate product. And when they don't have opportunity to make great loans, the quality of what they're doing and the risk that they're taking increases. The refinance just you have a lot more time because the borrower typically doesn't have a gun at their head to transact on a certain date. So they can negotiate for more points, ask for more leverage, and they can hang around longer where an acquisition creates, there's a date certain that they need to close. And so they, they actually need certainty. We've explored a major differentiating factor for debt fund managers and looked also at dynamics relating to financing as opposed to refinancing. Now let's examine today's real estate debt fund manager competitive set. Whenever a good opportunity arises, it's only natural that organizations keen to capitalize will begin to multiply. But as Warren and Chris have articulated, not everyone is perfectly positioned to do well. Well, look, the commercial real estate credit markets is a massive market. And so we've seen the emergence of these dominant multi-strat alternative managers, either public or burgeoning private alternative managers. And the world of capital raising is hyper-competitive, and to the extent that you have a suite of products to offer investors, the idea behind raising capital can be somewhat more simplified. And one of the legs of the stool is clearly commercial real estate credit because the size and the scale of the market. And who are the main constituent players of this large marketplace? You are seeing some very sophisticated alternative, multi-strat alternative managers try and enter the space for that reason. 
and then a lot of small entrants or smaller private equity firms that are focused on commercial real estate equity think about entering the commercial real estate debt markets because it is a logical extension of their core business. I think in Chris and my history, we would tell you that the field is littered with failed commercial real estate debt lenders that have entered the market with the idea that it's a basic and an easy extension of their core real estate equity business. And we'll continue to see entrants come into the markets. They don't really move the needle one way or another, either for us at Acor from a competitive landscape perspective, nor do they move the market. And I think during this particular cycle, where we've seen the difficulty in the capital markets and the lack of liquidity, we'll see a number of those entrants exit the market again now too. But at a much higher level, we talked a little bit about scale. You know, those that have scale, those that have access to liquidity, those that are willing to commit to teams that are dedicated to borrower relationships, those that can get first and last looks, those that can negotiate high quality structures and get deals at or better than market levels will succeed in the long term. But I would tell you, I think from our perspective, Ultimately, that universe of dominant players is very limited. Chris says investors should be wary of so-called pop-up lenders, groups quick to come to market for the current opportunity, but not necessarily setting up shop for multiple cycles. These folks, he says, will not have the depth of capability to capture the best investments. If you want to build a true credit culture where you're making high-quality loans and have a reputation within the borrower community, where borrowers want to borrow from you and you're not just a lender of last resort, it requires building a brand, a team, and the, you know, the barriers are high. So it's easy for someone to hang a shingle and say, I'm a lender. But I think if you look through history, those pop-up lenders a lot of times make loans that are not of the quality that you would want to invest in as an investor. I think it's a real commitment to a business over the long haul if you want to be successful. I would add one more thing to that. And it's not just the ability to go and originate the loans, which is a fairly giant process in and of itself. It's also the ability to manage the credits. And then certainly in times like we're in today or during COVID, you need a deep bench of asset management capabilities to not only service the borrowers when they pick up the phone in desperation and you know they're having liquidity problems or a tenant blew out, they need to pick up the phone and have someone to talk to who can really make decisions with them and help them get to the other side. But there's also this whole other universe of investor needs. And how do you service your investors in a sort of in the minute, high quality feedback kind of way? And you need to be able to do that in today's marketplace. So that comes back to not only the expense of building out a sizable team, it comes to your ability to attract high quality talent, your ability to create a credit culture, And then to do that, not in an episodic way, but to do that with continuity. And I think therein lies the challenge for most people trying to get into the market. So the opportunity to invest in real estate debt is there and it's plentiful, even with an expanded competitive set. Investors must discern between managers with long-term infrastructure in place and those setting up last minute. New financings are a more linear proposition than refinancings. With all that understood, PERE is left asking a burning question. When should we expect to see this market-wide opportunity to provide new deal financings? 
we've had consecutive quarters of minimal transacting as central bankers and policymakers grapple to get inflation under control by raising interest rates. Now, with some light at the end of the tunnel, brought about by settling interest rates, is a starter cannon about to go off? Warren says, even in a higher interest rate environment where everything is more expensive, it is stability that is going to get things moving. That rate stability, even if it's a higher rate environment, will then enable the bond buyers to enter the market with some degree of conviction. And that will create a bunch of liquidity that will help not only the risk premium, so the spread associated with a loan, but the second sort of constructive Fed policy or loosening monetary policy will enable the base treasury, the base indices to get some relief. And if those two things happen, we will get some relief on the cost of capital, which in turn will help the investment sales market, will help the debt, the functioning debt capital markets, and ultimately will result in a healthier outlook for commercial real estate. Nonetheless, first movers in any market cycle risk getting in on the wrong basis. Chris is alive to this concept. As a debt provider, first and foremost, we always have to protect the capital. So in every investment, whether it's now or two years ago or 10 years ago, we're underwriting these assets, assuming that you're going to go into a recession. And you want to have all the pieces of the pie in order such that you feel you're going to get paid back either way. And so we focus on three Bs, borrower, basis, and business plan. And basis is really what carries you through those difficult times and making sure that the loan that we've made is on a per pound or per unit basis that's going to be attractive in a good market or a bad market. And sophisticated borrowers with big balance sheets are going to pick which assets they're going to protect. So you want to be on the right side of that line and make sure that it's an asset they have a lot of equity in and your basis is very attractive and that should help them protect that asset. And then lastly, when we make a loan, we want the business plan to be fully capitalized. So we want to make sure the borrower has between their equity and our debt, we want a structure that ensures there's enough capital to complete the business plan. And then we have covenants within the loans that require rebalancing to the extent that there's cost overruns or delays. And key to making the lender-borrower nexus work? Communication, of course. All business plans are subject to a broader market environment. Chris is adamant that managers equipped to offer margin for error will perform best. We customize each structure to wrap the business plan and ensure that the borrower can execute that business plan but also provide safety to us as the lender to the extent that the business plan is not being executed as planned, that there's covenants that are in place to make the borrower come back to the table so we can fix the problem. And when you have a small covenant default or an operating covenant default that we've set up, it, it's designed to be there to bring the borrower to the table. So I think that when I look at what is an acceptable covenant default, those are acceptable. We want to talk to the borrower, sit down, restructure the loan and fix it. In this environment where liquidity is lacking, a maturity default at the end of a loan, when the loan comes due, a maturity default is more common because there's just a lack of liquidity to replace that loan. So I think while you're not happy about a maturity default, you kind of expect it to happen in this environment. What's not acceptable is a payment default where the borrower on a monthly basis can't make their payment. Warren says forbearance, where possible and when supported at the state level, usually offers the better solution. But ultimately, 
It comes down to the capability of the lending manager that will make the biggest difference. By and large, the lenders like being lenders. We're here to support the borrowers in that sense. We're in the business of getting our principal and interest back, and we're fiduciaries from that respect. During COVID, these forbearances that we all did and accommodations that we made were deliberate and were well calculated. But ultimately, the Fed stepped in and solved everything for everybody in terms of the injection of seven trillion of liquidity. This time around, it's a little bit different, at least, you know, as a headline. And as I said, the Fed has been very deliberate in what they're going to do. So it does feel to us like this is going to be a protracted period of higher interest rates and sort of stickiness around this environment. So the number of inquiries from borrowers are going to be higher. And that comes back to the point we talked about a little earlier on, which is having invested in, you know, in our case, a 40-person asset management team and sort of 120 people dedicated purely to this business, I think that that is required to be a great lender and steward of capital in today's market. There you have it. Warren DeHaan and Chris Tukarski of Acor have shared some high-level guidance and some more granular context for anyone looking seriously at engaging with today's significant real estate credit opportunity. They are clear that the opportunity will be sizable, but they are equally clear that not all managers will be successful in seizing it. That's all for today. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts or at any of PEI Group's various titles online. With PERE, I'm Jonathan Brass. Thanks for listening.